verse 16 says, And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made imperfect, is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. You know, it was impossible for us to love anything, anyone without the love of God. God is love. God is love. You have your Bibles. Turn with me tonight to 2 Samuel chapter 12 verse 24. I feel like I have a specific direction tonight. I don't feel like my notes are complete, so we're going to trust the Lord and work on them a little longer for next time. Second Samuel 12 and verse 24, David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, went in unto her, lay with her, and she bare a son, and he called his name Solomon. And the Lord loved him. And he sent by the hand of Nathan the prophet, and he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. Deuteronomy 4. Verse 25, we'll start there. We'll end with verse 29. When thou shalt beget children and children's children, ye shall have remained long in the land and shall corrupt yourselves and make a graven image or the likeness of anything and shall do evil in the sight of the Lord thy God to provoke him to anger. I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that ye shall soon utterly perish from off the land whereunto ye go over Jordan to possess it. You shall not prolong your days upon it, but shall utterly be destroyed. The Lord shall scatter you among the nations. You'll be left few in number among the heathen, whither the Lord shall lead you. There you shall serve gods, the work of men's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But if from thence or from that place, you shall seek the Lord thy God. You'll find him. If you seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. 
Verse 31 says, For the Lord thy God is a merciful God. He will not forsake thee, neither destroy thee, nor forget the covenant of thy fathers, which he sware unto them. If from that place you'll seek the Lord your God, you'll find him. I'm going to preach just got one word it's been in my mind all afternoon and we're going to preach about it tonight beloved or beloved let's go before the Lord in prayer Jesus we love you God I thank you for your word I thank you for your people God I thank you for your spirit that we feel here tonight in this sweet way God I pray that you would draw us closer to you that you'd take us deeper into your presence tonight that we'd be closer to you tonight than we were this morning God I pray your will would be done I pray Lord that tonight someone would have a revelation of how loved they are by you in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Why don't you just say, I love you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Why don't you clap your hands tonight? Thank you, Jesus. You can be seated. Deuteronomy chapter 4 may not seem like a very uh, appropriate scripture. Uh, to preach in regards to being loved or beloved. However, when you begin to read down through the Lord's dialogue with His people, it becomes very evident the direction that He desires for His people to move, to go. He he lays it out very uh, plainly to them. He gives them the scenario that, hey, when, when you go into the land, you need to take heed unto yourselves. Verse 23, Moses is charging them. He's telling them, hey, I'm not going to be able to go with you, but uh, you need to watch yourself. Verse 23, Watch yourself. Take heed unto yourselves. Can't be worried about your brother. Take heed to yourself. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you. And he goes on and says, if you forget the covenant, you're going to start worshiping other things. You're going to start worshiping idols, other gods, graven images, or the likeness of anything, whatever suits your fancy. So take heed to yourselves. And he goes on down from verse 23 down through verses 25 and 26, all the way down through verse 28. He said, you're going to serve other gods, the works of men's hand, uh, wood, stone, which neither see, nor hear, nor eat, nor smell. 
He's laying it out there. I'm going to scatter you out. I'm a, a jealous God, a consuming fire. The previous language uh, in, in chapter 4 uh, notates he's, he's a jealous God in verse 24, a consuming fire. Uh, he said, I'm going to call heaven and earth to witness against you. Lays it out very plainly. It's not a very pretty picture. But, if you were to find yourself in that situation, where you've forgotten who you were, you've forgotten whose you were. But in the middle of the mess, if from thence, if from that place, you get a desire to move, to change, to change your ways, then from that place, I'm going to hear you. From that place, you can begin to seek God again. And you will find Him. It is a promise. It is a hope that He's giving them. He said, I, I understand the, the aspect of human nature that at times forgets and deviates from the plan of God, from the will of God, the ways of God, and, and begins searching out after other things. That the, there's a, an element in our carnality that seeks fulfillment. It seeks affirmation. It seeks uh, acceptance. He said, if you find yourself in a fallen scenario, but you make up your mind from that place, I'm going to seek God, then you will find Him. If you seek Him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. So I want to be seeking after the right things. I want to be seeking after that which is pure, that which is true, that which is holy, that which is righteous, that which is right. We find in 2 Samuel chapter 12 a, a very familiar story. You know it well that, that God has just commanded the prophet Nathan to come and confront David about his sin. David has taken another man's wife. He's committed murder. He's committed adultery. There's a child born as the product of that sinful act. The man of God walks in and tells David the parable of the sheep. The parable of the rich man. He's got flocks and herds. 
He's got a guest that comes. Instead of taking from one of his flock, he goes to his poor neighbor's house, takes that man's only lamb, sacrifices it, kills it. Not sacrifices it, but kills it. Prepares it for his guest. David is infuriated. The guy who did that should die. And the man of God looks at David and says, you're that guy. You're the man. His heart is smitten. David has sought after the lust of his flesh. But instead of trying to pass off the blame and the responsibility from that place, David repents. From that place, David moves forward. Their son gets sick, dies. And now, around nine months later, Nathan's back. Months pass between verse 23 and verse 24. And in a massive display of mercy, God allows David and Bathsheba to bear a son. Not just any son, but a son through which the lion of the tribe of Judah would be born. Massive display of mercy. And David and Bathsheba name this son Solomon. And the Lord loved him. Nathan comes back. Imagine. Imagine the knock on the door. And they crack the door open. They're getting the baby all cleaned up. And the servant says, I'm sorry to disturb you, king, but the prophet's here. What now? Have you come to take this son as well? This time Nathan walks in again with a message from God. But this time, as he cradles that son, begins to share with David and Bathsheba that God loves this son. In fact, the Lord would go so far as to change Solomon's name to Jedediah, which means beloved of the Lord. If you were to search for the word beloved in a Bible research program, you'd find that the word occurs somewhere in the ballpark of 108 times throughout Scripture. According to our English dictionary, the word means dearly loved or dear to the heart. Out of the more than 100 times you would find that word beloved in Scripture, you would find 28 of those references in the book of the Song of Solomon alone. One of the most popular being in the 6th chapter, verses 1 through 4, say, Whither is thy beloved gone? 
O thou fairest among women, whither is thy beloved turned aside that we may seek him with thee? My beloved has gone down into his garden to the beds of spices to feed in the gardens to gather lilies. I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. He feedeth among the lilies. Thou art beautiful, O my love, as Terza coming comely as Jerusalem, terrible as an army with banners. And here it is that you find the meaning of the word beloved in the Hebrew. To have an emphasis on the love between a bride and groom or those who are betrothed to each other. You find the backdrop of the, the book, of the Song of Solomon's, as a collection of six different poems between Solomon and his bride, the Shulamite woman. Some of these poems take place in the queen's garden. Some take place in the king's palace. These six poems pertain to the courtship or wedded passion between Solomon and his bride. They are laid out similar to a call and response between the lover and his beloved. Now, if we were just reading the Song of Solomon from our human side, you say, Pastor, why in the world are you preaching about the Song of Solomon? This is not a marriage conference tonight. It's not a marriage retreat. You're right, it's not. But religious leaders, including those in uh, rabbinical circles or the Jewish leaders, the rabbis throughout the centuries have looked at this book, the Song of Solomon, and even though there is no direct claim or direct mention of God, they have canonized it as Scripture because it is a typology to the church's relationship as a bride with the groom. Chapter 6 starts with the search of Solomon's wife as she is searching for him. You find whither is thy beloved gone, O thou fairest among women. Whither is thy beloved turned aside that we may seek him with thee? You find this, this language of deep, heart-wrenching love as chapter 6 starts from the wife's perspective. As she begins searching for her beloved, she is searching for the lover of her soul. She is searching after the one who she feels this passion towards she is searching for him she's searching everywhere she has looked in every room and her search is is so passionate it is so frantic it is so full of energy that the daughters of Jerusalem have come out and they have said we want to take part in the search with you now that would be odd just from a husband and wife perspective. But as you begin to look at that 
through the eyes of the church, through the lens of my relationship with God. The writer of Song of Solomon, this Shulamite bride in chapter 6, her search is so passionate that others are wanting to come out and take part in the search for her lover. Her search is portrayed with such intensity that others are joining in to help her search. They begin to desire to see him as much as she desires to see him. Oh, she starts getting different ideas. My beloved is going down into his garden to the bed of spices. He's going down to look in the landscaping. He's gone down to where the plants of the spices are growing. And he's gone down to pull off some leaves. Maybe he's out there in the garden. That's why nobody knows where he is. Maybe he's out there gathering lilies. Maybe he's out preparing a gift for me. Maybe he's out cutting some wild flowers for me. Maybe I am on his mind as much as he is on my mind. Do you see where we're going tonight? Her search for her beloved is to such a degree that others say, I want to partake in a love like that. I want to taste of a love like that that do you think that the king might be preparing a place for me like he's preparing a place for you again to desire him as much as she did and with an ever-growing confidence in her relationship. She begins to point toward the garden where the king could still be found. I believe that he's there. I believe I know where he's at. There's this one place that I haven't looked yet. And I believe that he's there. Maybe he's in that one place where we met that time and, and, I, and I'm transitioning between my house and his house. This is not a relationship that is just one-sided. It's not just one-dimensional. This is not a relationship I can only feel when I'm in the king's house but he's my beloved and he said I'll come to you wherever you are you don't have to wait I will come to you I've gone to prepare a place that where I am you might be also why because you're my beloved and I've gone to prepare I want you to have the best of everything and I'm willing to give myself for you I'm willing to put my own life on the line. I'm willing to spend and be spent for you. It's not just a one-sided relationship. Some of these interactions, these poems have taken place in her palace. This is not just a spiritual encounter. These layers of goes on in the spirit being pulled into the natural. It's going on into the natural being pulled into the spiritual. This ebbing and flowing, this call and response. She calls for verses 1 through 3. He responds in verse 4. Later on throughout the book, he would call and she would respond. 
There are times where he would come to the door and he would knock. By the time she got around to the door, he was gone. If you see him, tell him I'm sorry that I missed him. She would run out of the house to go find him. Verse 3, she says, I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. It's almost as if between the word mine and the word he, she sees him. Oh, there he is. He just finished his dinner. He's been out eating on the back terrace. He feedeth among the lilies. He's not an animal. He's not down on all fours, munching on grass, eating flowers. She said, oh, look. Girls, look at that. There's candles on. atmosphere is just right. In verse 4, he looks up and he has seen her, whether through the door or through the shrubbery, whether it's through the, the arbor that leads down the path into the garden. She sees him and he sees her. And he responds to her call. He responds to her calling he responds to her searching with words of affirmation thou art beautiful oh my love begins to describe her becomes so full of passion he says listen i i, I got some other things to do in verse five you got to get your eyes off me Can't, don't look at me like that you make me lose myself. I lose my train of thought. Don't look at me like that. He's not complaining, but there's such a degree of love between uh, the bride and her groom that it distracts him from everything else that he's got going on. Let me preach to you for just a few moments tonight that when you call, he will respond. You are his beloved. I said, you are his beloved, and he desires to have you. If you will seek him, you will find him. So it should be with the description of the bride of Christ that gives, uh, concerning Jesus Christ, that the others will will say, you know what? I see you pursuing Him. I see you chasing after Him. I see your relationship. There's just something about you. 
but I haven't seen everywhere else. You're right, you haven't because I am his beloved and he is mine. He is the lover of my soul and ever-present help in time of trouble. He cares for me. He loves me like no man or no woman could. He loves me beyond the natural. He looks beyond my faults. He looks beyond my failures. And I believe that Solomon is able to write these poems from this standpoint of the beloved because he understands what it was like because his big brother died due to an act of sin. But when God stepped into the room, he looked at me and he said, you I'll change your name, boy. I'll change your name. You're not just Solomon. You are beloved. I want my relationship with God to be to such a degree that others will follow in after me. They'll file in after me. They'll say, I want to go on this search with you. Oh, you're going to prayer meeting tonight. Oh, you're praying in your home tonight. Would you mind if we stopped over? Would you mind if we came by and prayed with you? Oh, I don't mind at all. Come and search with me. and search with me. I want others to want to seek Him because they see me seeking Him. Nehemiah 13 Nehemiah runs into a dilemma. Verse 23, he said, In those days also I saw Jews that had married wives of Ashdod and Amnon, or I'm sorry, Ammon and Moab. Oh, but Nehemiah, Ammon, and Moab, they're just, they're just cousins. Those are lots of boys. Yeah. The children spake half in the speech of Ashdod and could not speak in the Jews' language. But according to the language of each people. They've got this scenario where Jews are coming out of captivity. God had specifically told them, don't marry other people. Don't marry outside of the tribes of Israel. You find the reason why it hit me today as I was reading verse 24. Their children spake half in the speech of Ashdod. Could not speak in the Jews' language, but according to the language of each people. They're speaking half in this language and half in the Hebrew language. I contended with them, Nehemiah said, and cursed them and smote certain of them. Got rough. Plucked off their hair. Like a cat fight. Made them to swear by God. 
saying, Ye shall not give your daughters unto their sons, nor take their daughters unto your sons, or for yourself. Verse 26. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations there was there no king like him who was beloved of his God. God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, even him did outlandish women cause sin. Shall we then hearken unto you to do all this great evil to transgress against our God in marrying strange wives? Pastor, what world does that have to do with Song of Solomon chapter 6? Verse 24. Israelites were dealing with children now who could not speak the language. They're speaking half like the unsaved. Like half of the uncircumcised, half Jew. Nehemiah is saying this is not the plan of God. This is where Solomon messed up. Because they can't speak either language completely. They're born of mixed marriages. And that mixing of marriages between those who were the children of God and those who were not was a serious threat to the identity of God's people. Because God desires to have a children, or God desires to have children or a people who speak one spiritual language. It's as if God was speaking through Nehemiah and saying, I want to be able to communicate with my beloved. And she, the bride of Christ, needs to be able to communicate with me. I can't speak to you. I can't communicate with you on the level of beloved if you're speaking that which pertains to the world. Out of one water, out of one spring cannot come bitter water and sweet water. But you've got to get the bitterness out. You've got to get the worldliness out. You can't go chasing after every whim of doctrine. You can't go chasing after whatever suits your fancy today. But you you got to get a revelation and understanding that you are the beloved of God. One spiritual language. David would describe what it was like to be one of God's beloved in Psalm 60. There's apparently a battle, an army that they're facing that seems sketchy. David's not sure if they're going to win or lose. But verse 4, he said, Thou hast given a banner to them that fear thee, that it may be displayed because of the truth. Selah. That they, that thy Beloved may be 
delivered. Save with thy right hand and hear me. David is appealing to God as one of God's beloved. Lord, I'm your beloved. Don't forget that. Deliver us, save us with your right hand. Hear us, because we are your beloved. Then in verse 12, he finishes out chapter 60 by saying, Through God we shall do valiantly, for he it is that shall tread down our enemies. David has an understanding that there is a certain level of protection. There's a level of uh, oversight that comes with being a child of God that nothing can get to me without first going through him I know it looks daunting at times uh, but perfect love testeth out fear when I understand the fact uh, that I am loved of God uh, and it's more than just a passing acquaintance this is no fling this is no flirtatious uh, moment this is divine deep love that transcends nature it transcends the spiritual world and steps down into my world gets a hold of me and changes who I am and when I am beloved of God there's a certain level of things I just don't have to worry about come with being child of God we're not going to read it tonight, but you can read Daniel chapter 9, Daniel chapter 10. There's prophetic revelation that's given to Daniel because he said the man Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, comes to him and says, Daniel, God's going to show you some things because, let me read it, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter. And consider the vision. This is where he jumps into Daniel's 70 weeks of prophecy. He said, Daniel, I'm going to give this to you because you are beloved. You are my beloved. What kind of things could we learn from Daniel? What might it take to become beloved of God to the point where God says, I'm going to trust you with the future. I'm going to trust you. Understand it. Understand the matter. Consider the vision. Daniel, in the face of adversity, when they say, Daniel, you can't pray, what does Daniel do? He doesn't go hide in his closet to pray. He said, I'm going to go open up my windows. I'm not changing a thing. I'm going to go pray just like I've been praying. I'm going to keep on praying. He said, God, I don't want our relationship to be one-sided. Take it a step further. I'm not going to go real deep into this, but Daniel was one of the princes, not just in Babylon, in Israel. Sons of a king, he and his three friends. They bring them into the land of Babylon and make them eunuchs. 
In short, that means Daniel could no longer produce physically. Daniel said, you know what? I'm not even going to let that stop me. Because I'm going to sow into a field of the Spirit. To the point that God is going to trust me with the happenings of the end of the world. And so Daniel's level of consecration to God was, God, if you'll call, I'll respond. And God, I know that if I'll call, you'll respond. Even if it might take 21 days, I'm going to pray three times a day until I get the answer. And just because I get the answer does not mean I'm going to stop praying because I've got some responsibility to search after you, to seek after you because I am your beloved. Part of being the beloved means I have a responsibility to both call and respond. I have a responsibility to initiate conversation. I have a responsibility to initiate the relationship. And I have a responsibility, an obligation to respond. You move on over to the New Testament, you'll find a different word for beloved. It's our same English word in Matthew 3.17. This is the baptism of Jesus Christ by John. Baptized by John. Verse 17, And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. There is an entire multitude of messages that could be preached from that one verse. But let's, let's say it this way. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. What you see there is a revealing of Jesus Christ. The beginning of his ministry. So he's standing there with John the Baptist, the forerunner. The one who has prepared the way. Saying, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. I baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me, whose shoe like it, I'm not even worthy to stoop down and lose, he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. John's got a revelation. And here comes Jesus out of the crowd. And they both go down into the water together. Again, so much you could preach there. But, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Jesus Christ is stepping into His own. In a way, you see the same thing today in the Jewish culture. 
what they call a bar mitzvah, as they celebrate the transition of a boy into manhood. You're no longer a boy. Now you're a man. And the Spirit is confirming you're not just the son of a carpenter. You created the trees. You are not just man. You are God incarnate. It's a transfer of divine authority. The authority that had been lost by the first Adam is now transferred to the last Adam. With that word, this is my beloved son. From this point forward, the declaration of this sonship would be signified that this son is ruler over the entire family. That his authority was the very authority of the father. It's not just, it's not a second person in a trinity. It's the same authority. He is God manifest in the flesh. And he said, this is my beloved son. word in the New Testament for beloved is a derivative of the word agape which is unconditional love spelled A-G-A-P-E-T-O-S you figure out how to pronounce it it is divinely loved it's not just unconditional Love. It is divine love. It's used with two special applications. I'm really almost done tonight. One application is the beloved title of the Messiah. As beloved by all, or I'm sorry, beyond all others. It's also used of Christians beloved by God. Divine love. And so you begin to see the correlation of New Testament believers to Solomon's poem. I'm running through the city. I'm running through the streets and I'm looking for him. Another part of Solomon's poem says, I found the one whom my soul has longed for. It's more than temporal. It's more than face value. It goes beyond until death do us part. Because when you're speaking in the realm of divine love, death does not part. You're part. 
heart of a love, when you're filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, when you're baptized in Jesus' name, that is just getting started. It comes to fruition when you take your last earthly breath and you step across that golden shore and you walk to that pearly gate and you say, I found the one who my soul has longed for, the lover of my soul. You called, I'm responding. Time fails us tonight. Maybe we'll preach this again in the future with a little more clarity. Acts 15 speaks of Paul and Barnabas as beloved brethren. Romans 1, 7, 9, 25, 11, 28, 12, 19, all speak of beloved saints. Musicians come. First Corinthians 4, 17, 10, 14, and 15, 58, 2 Corinthians 7, 1, all speak of beloved saints. Beloved saints. 2 Peter 3.17 talks about how steadfastness is part of having beloved status. 1 John 3.2.21.4.1.7 and 11 as well as 3 John 1.2 and 5 and 11 all speak of if you're going to be beloved of Christ, there are some things that we're going to do and some things that we're not going to do. Some things that we're going to chase after and some things that we're going to stay away from. Because when I get a revelation of I want to find Him, I want to search for Him with everything that I am, everything that is in me, then there is nothing that is too high a price to pay because I understand I am his beloved and he is mine. I want to find him. I want to search for him. And it doesn't matter tonight what situation you find yourself in. It doesn't matter what circumstance you find yourself in or what plateau of spirituality you're currently dwelling in. It doesn't matter if you've lived for God all of your life or if you've been serving idols today and want to come tonight to see if you can still feel God. God's if you'll search for me from the place that you're in I promise you beloved I'll, I'll find you I'll be found of you be found of you whither is my beloved gone whither is he turned aside the world's looking at her and they're saying hey whither is your beloved gone 
oh thou fairest among women they're looking at the church and they're saying you're not like everybody else you're the fairest among women where is he where is he we want to go we want to search for him we want to find him with you come with me I want my searching after him to produce indraw that people come in and they get caught in the flow of my moving toward my master, to my moving toward the lover of my soul, and they just get caught in the spiritual undertow and they get drugged down in the watery grave of baptism. They get filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost and they experience the love of God as being the beloved know that the king is looking at you tonight saying thou art beautiful my love he's exhilarated with the glories he's exhilarated with the uniqueness the beauty of the one that he loves. That's why the word of God said that Jesus Christ came reconciling the world unto himself and then has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. I've searched for you, beloved. And if you'll search for me, they'll just fall in behind you and you'll help reconcile them to me as I reconcile you to me. If I want to be a soul winner, I've got to search for my king. What if it's really that simple? What if it really is that simple? The more I pray, the more they're going to come. The more I fast, the more they're going to feel the drawing. If I search for my beloved, they'll come and they'll follow after me as we search for him. saying church everything about you is beautiful get your head up search after me you want to find fulfillment search after me you want to find love search after me you want to find joy search after me you want to find intimacy search after me you want to know who you are you want to find your identity search after me you want to win your city search after me you're my beloved come on is he your beloved today is he your beloved today?